All right, what's up, Red Rocks? How are you guys? We doing good? Okay, I like it. That's not bad. That's not bad. Hey, we're going to start the night the right way with some prayer. So would you guys all jump to your feet, stand up in this place right now. If you're watching on Facebook Live at home, go ahead and get up off the couch. Stand up because we're about to speak to the creator of the universe. He's about to listen to what we're going to say. And I just don't want to, I don't want to miss this. And so join me, pray with me. God, we love you so much. I thank you for a chance to gather as a family tonight, God. And would you remind us right from the very beginning of this night, what is really going on here? here. There is something so much bigger than each of our individual stories that we are caught up in, and I pray that you would reveal that to people in this room tonight even more. Jesus, join us here. I speak revival over this room in the name of Jesus Christ. God, I know if revival is going to come to Denver, then it's going to come through a church in Denver, and so I speak revival and passion into the hearts and spirits of every single person that's in this room, myself included. God, would you come would you do miracles in this place tonight? Would we experience you tonight, God? Would there be salvations? Would you, would you heal bodies? Would you heal minds, God? Give peace to those with anxiety. Give joy to those who are feeling depressed. Give hope to anybody in here who might be having suicidal thoughts. Give vision to those who need vision. Give rest to the souls in here who haven't had rest in far too long. And give us the mindset to face forward towards what is to come. God, you're pulling us forward into more, into the, into the best. God, I believe that the best is in front of all of us. The best is in front of us individually and as a ministry and as a church globally. God, you've got more that you're pulling us into. I pray for expectancy and faith in here tonight to believe that. We pray all of these things in the name that is above every name, the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said... Amen. All right, let's go. Give away, uh, uh, no, don't sit down yet. Give away two awkward Christian side hugs, then you may sit down. Thank you, Scott. And welcome, welcome to YA. Welcome, anybody here for the first time? Be brave. Okay, welcome, guys. Welcome, welcome. Wow, a lot of people. We're so on. I know there's a lot of stuff to do in Denver on a Thursday. A lot of churches you can go to, um, and, and we're just so honored to have you. Thank you for being here. Welcome to uh, night two of this series called What Is to Come. I don't know if you were here last week, but Jesse Davis just about brought the house down last week, talking about uh, facing forward with expectancy and moving forward into what God has for us and what is to come. I wasn't here to see it, but my wife and I actually watched it on Facebook Live from a plane because technology is so cool. By the way, can we give it up right now for our Facebook Livers who are tuning in? Love you guys. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for being a part of this ministry. Tonight, here's what we're talking about. Tonight, the topic is the end times and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Kind of a big can of worms, so that'll make you nervous if you're me, right? Kind of a big can of worms to open, but, uh, and that's why I guess I, I have one balancing statement and one word of caution before we go any further. Balancing statement, here it is. I am not an expert on any of this. Like I needed to say that at all, right? You're looking at me like, I'm looking at you, bro. You're not an expert at anything, 
You didn't even have to say that. I, I'm, I'm not an expert. I don't have all the answers. I don't feel pressure to have all the answers. Feels kind of good, right? But I'm, I'm a reader. I'm a, I, I prayed a lot about this. I've listened to a lot of people. I've, I've, I've stolen a lot of really good stuff from people who are smarter than me, pastors and leaders, people like Sean Johnson and, and Jesse Davis and Judah Smith and Matt Chandler and John Mark Comer and Tim Mackey and the Bible Project and kind of combined all of it along with a bit of revelation that I feel that God has given me. And I'm just, re I'm really pumped tonight for the direction that we're going to go. I'm just not an expert. There's the balancing statement. And the word of caution is this right here. When it comes to topics like this, topics like this, it is here, like never, ever replace knowing Jesus with knowing things about Jesus. Never replace knowing Jesus with knowing things about Jesus because there's people all over this planet right now smarter than me and smarter than you and they've been debating and arguing about stuff like this, the end times, the sovereignty of God and for years, for hundreds of years and they still disagree, they still haven't figured it out, right? So like I've been there before, okay? And, and you don't wanna replace knowing Jesus with knowing things about Jesus. My challenge to you is just to simply enjoy the fact that your God is a mystery, that his ways are higher than ours, that his thoughts are higher than ours, and thank him that that's true, right? Thank God that his thoughts are higher than ours. He is not a puzzle to be solved. He is a king to be worshipped, a mystery to be worshipped. He is the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, and it's okay that we can't fully understand all of the deepest mysteries and complexities of the creator of the universe and how he is and how he's choosing to end all of this. It's okay that we can't fully explain all of that, okay? And so tonight, let this sermon lead you to Jesus with wonder and awe, not with debates and arguments, okay? I've been there. It's so easy. Like, like the world of, of theological debate can be like this vortex of nerddom. I've been there. And you, like, it's so easy just to get sucked in. It's kind of fun when you're in it and you're debating and arguing and you're learning all the stuff. And before you know it, you haven't made a disciple or loved your neighbor in six months, right? You learn the stuff, but you feel far from God. And that's a horrible, horrible trade. Proximity with Jesus is everything. And knowledge is good only if it leads us to proximity with Jesus. Knowing him is everything. This is not a sermon about facts. This is a sermon about Jesus Christ. And Jesus is coming back soon. So turn to your neighbor, turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus is coming back. In fact, that's the title of this message. There are seven exclamation points. If you're writing this down, make sure you get all seven. You ask why seven exclamation points? Because seven is the biblical number for perfection, and we're talking about the second coming of Jesus. And I highly recommend you take notes, especially when you're at the pearly gates trying to get into heaven. Notes from sermons come in handy. Like Connor said, if you got no notes, the best you can do in heaven is like a townhome, right? I don't, I, he, I don't know if he made that up or if he saw a verse that I've never seen. I'll ask him later, but I'm not an expert. Like I said, I would just take notes. Jesus is coming back. So let's pray really, really quick one more time. God, help me preach this. Amen. <laughs> help me, Jesus. Here we go. <laughs> I love you guys. You guys are ready for a good night at church. Feel it. 
Always bring the energy and the expectancy. This is like the, the most fun place to preach because of you guys. So thank you. I, uh, I'm wearing a hat right now for a reason. Um, two days ago, I was cutting my hair by myself, like you do. And I was, I was doing the sides with the short setting, the two setting, like you do, right? And by the way, guys in here, uh, you can save a lot of money by cutting your own hair. Money that, uh, I mean, I do it so I can tithe more, right? No, I do it so I can golf more. But that's like just as holy, right? And buy cool shoes. So um, I'm, I'm in the bathroom and I'm, I'm cutting my hair. And anyways, my wife is in the kitchen and I hear her yell a question to me. Something like, babe, like, I know you're such a spiritual leader of our home and Oh, so manly and the love of my life. And I'm just curious, what chapter of the Bible do you want to read with each other tonight like the godly couple that we are, right? That's not what she asked. She said, babe, which episode of Modern Family are we on right now? Because I want to cue it up for later. And in that moment, I made the mistake of thinking that I possess any ability inside of me to multitask. All right? Girls, women, y'all can do it. You were blessed by the good Lord to do it. Men, no. Not us, guys. We were not blessed with the ability to multitask because I'm using the clippers on the side of my head and I simultaneously stick my head out of the bathroom to say, babe, we are in fact on season nine, episode five and chunk out of my hair up to here with the short setting, right? And immediately I'm like, that didn't just happen. And then I look in the mirror like, oh no, oh gosh. On a preaching week, dang it. God, are you trying to punish me for watching TV instead of praying with my wife? And speak to me, God, right? And God still speaks. And I, I heard him say, no, son, I love Modern Family. You did this. You did this all by yourself. You didn't need no help from me. This ain't no spiritual warfare. This is you being a knucklehead, right? Knucklehead, that's a good compound word. We need to bring that word back. Knucklehead. Giant chunk, gone. And I'm thinking, okay, 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 okay. Like I'm praying, like I'm, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And in that moment, I realized there is, there is only one option from this point on, and it's to face forward and keep moving. Face forward and keep moving. Like we can look back and we can kind of rehash the past and everything that caused me to be a knucklehead and accomplish this. I can look back and cry over spilt milk and, and relive that. Or we can face forward and we can do the only thing there is to be done. And we can step into what is to come. And what was to come for me was a buzzed head all the way. It's the only option. I'm not wearing a hat because I'm ashamed. I just wanted to wear a hat tonight. To be honest, I actually kind of like, I'm saving tons on shampoo. Saving tons on shampoo, guys. Like, my bathroom time in the morning has been cut from four minutes to two minutes. It's like a 50% time savings, I think. Sometimes there's only one way to go, and that way is forward regardless of what's behind. So welcome to what is to come. You like that transition? That's not bad. That's not bad. All right, here we go. Are we in the end times? There's the question. You probably wanna know. I wanna know too. Are we living right now 
in the end times. When is Jesus coming back? Now, first of all, if anybody tells you, I know when Jesus is coming back, they don't know when Jesus is coming back, okay? If they say, hey, I've cracked the code, buy my book, check out my, like, watch my thing, don't buy the book, don't watch the thing, you run in the opposite direction because they're either crazy or a narcissist. Nobody knows when Jesus is coming back. In fact, Jesus said, only the Father knows. So literally two-thirds of the Trinity don't know the exact date and time that Jesus is coming back, right? So if some news channel says, hey, and they release a story like, he's coming back, on April 23rd of this year, you know they're full of it. You know it's not true. You know to run in the opposite direction. Nobody knows the time and the date, right? He's going to come like a thief in the night. You can't come like a thief in the night if everybody knows the night that you're going to come, right? He's coming back and only the Father knows. But Jesus does give us clues to kind of discern the times, and he says, when it gets close, when you're living in the end times, I'll give you signs for the ends of the age, right? So are we living in the end times? I kind of want to know. Jesus' disciples wanted to know too. Matthew 24, verse 3. This is Jesus' disciples. They are, or it's going to be. One second. It says, later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, and here's his disciples. They, they came to him privately, and they said, Jesus, tell us, when will all of this happen what will be the signal or the signs of your return and the end of the world? And we're not going to read the whole chapter. You can go read it by yourself later this week. It's really actually very, very interesting. I'm going to paraphrase it really quick. And, and Jesus gives them signs for what, what's going to happen when it gets close to the end. And, and I'm just going to give you a few right here. He says there's going to be wars. Jet. There's going to be earthquakes and famine and natural disasters, right? Okay, check. People will be lovers of self. Like, okay, check. Like, that's always been true, but like, I, I was thinking today, like, we actually live in a day and age where the norm, like, our, our worlds are kind of revolved around, like, a website and a few apps where you literally make a page that's just all about you that you try to get people to come to, right? I'm not knocking on Instagram. I have one. I'm not saying that just because you have an Instagram, you're a lover of self. You can have an Instagram and not be a lover of self. I'm just saying there's something to the fact that that's just normal now. It's just normal to have that. That's our, that's our culture, right? People will be persecuted for their faith, killed for being a Christian and believing in Jesus, right? Just turn on the news. Check. People will fall away from their faith in Jesus. There was a study a few years ago um, where they asked Americans, uh, they asked Americans, are you a Bible-believing Christian? And the builder's generation, those who were born before 1945, 65% of them said, yep. And then the boomer's generation um, 35% said yes. And then Generation X, 16% said yes. And then millennials, 4% of millennials said, yes, I'm a Bible-believing Christian. And now Generation Z, the generation after us, they're officially known as the first generation to be born into a completely post-Christian world, right? So check. And so... I mean, you could, based off of some of the words of Jesus, you could make a pretty good case that, yeah, I think, I think we might be living in the end times. But listen to me, and this is important. Every single generation since Jesus left 2,000 years ago has thought that they were the generation that was going to see Jesus come back. Every generation has thought, oh, I can't get worse than this. Surely he's coming back like this. Like every generation has thought that. 
It's important to know that, but there are like a, a few reasons that we might, might, might be different. And I'm going to show you what I'm saying right here. Go to, actually stay in Matthew 24, jump to verse 14. And the good news of the kingdom, this is Jesus, will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations, all nations will hear it and then the end will come. We get something similar to that in Revelation 7, 9. Uh, John, you know, John the disciple, John the self-proclaimed favorite of Jesus. John wrote the book of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, John 3, 16. The John from that, that John, he wrote Revelation also. Jesus gave John a vision of the future, a vision into heaven and new earth. And then John wrote it all down, and that's what the book of Revelation is. And in Revelation 7, 9, John has given us a little bit of the vision that he had of heaven. He says this, After this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count. Heaven is getting crowded. Too great to count from every nation and every tribe and every people and every language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in the white robes and held palm branches in their hands. So catch that. There will be people from every nation. Nation in the Greek here is not talking about the countries on our planet, right? Nation, it's much, a bit more complicated than that. Like every people group. So every indigenous tribe, every language out there, every group of people, every group of people, there's gonna be representatives from every nation accounted for one day in heaven. It's tough to quantify like the amount of nations on our planet right now, but if you go to a, a website called joshuaproject.net, this is an organization called the Joshua Project, they kind of quantify it as best as they can. They say that there are 16,971 people groups on our planet. And as of right now, roughly 7,000 of them are without the gospel and they're categorized as unreached people groups. So like 30 to 35% of the world's population would be categorized as unreached right now. So Follow me. According to Jesus, representatives, and according to John in this vision, representatives from every tribe, tongue, nation, every nation will be in heaven with us one day, which means in order for Jesus to come back, first, the unreached need to be reached. They need to be reached. Now, because of technology and resources that, that we have, that is now possible in ways that it's never been possible for generations before us, right? If you go to Revelation 11, we're not going to read it. Read it this week. But um, John says that during the seven-year uh, tribulation period, I think, there's going to be two witnesses in Jerusalem. These witnesses are going to be preaching in Jerusalem, and they're going to be killed, and the entire world is going to see it happen. We now live in a day and age where it's possible for something to happen on the other side of the world while the whole planet tunes in to see it, right? So are we in the end times? Maybe, maybe. I, I think it's possible. My card's on the table. Yeah, I think, I think we might be, but I don't know. Only God knows, and God doesn't tell. But what we do know is that when Jesus comes back, whenever that is, when Jesus comes back, he's not, it's not gonna be as a baby in a manger this time, 
right? Jesus came back the first time a little over 2,000 years ago as a savior, right? That's John 3, 17, I think, where he says, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world the first time he came. But the second time Jesus comes back, he's not coming as a savior. He is coming as a king, as a king. Oh, we're cheering. We all got to go for it. Don't leave the three clappers hanging. I like this. And in case you're wondering where that is in the Bible, in Revelation, it's in Revelation 19, starting in verse 11. This is the section in Revelation that is titled, The Rider on the White Horse which is just kind of awesome. Here it is. Then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that nobody understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood and his title was the word of God. The armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the almighty like juice flowing from a wine press and on his robe at his thigh, this is Jesus tattoo, was written this title, King of Kings and Lord of all the Lords. Baby Jesus has left the manger. That's probably the best way to say it right there. So two things about that because that definitely has war connotations to it, does it not? So two things to notice. Number one, Jesus' robe has blood on it before he appears in the clouds, before he comes back, right? This is because the centerpiece of the entire Bible, the cornerstone, if you will, the crux of the whole story is the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the earth were even laid. That is Jesus, and the blood on his robe is his blood that he shed for us, which means this. He's not coming to inflict violence on his people, probably on the enemy but on his people, he's not coming to inflict violence. He's coming to absorb it, right? And the sword is coming out of his mouth. Why would, why would it be coming out of his mouth? Because the sword is a symbol for the word. And that's capital W, word. The word. And says it's a symbol that Jesus has the authority to define good and evil and hold every human being Every angel, every demon accountable to it as he brings justice once and for all. Jesus is the lamb. Jesus is your savior. Jesus is your friend. But Jesus, make no mistake, is king. He is king. And at the end of, of everything, Revelation kind of um, outlines a bunch of different events. And you've probably heard like everything from like the rapture to this 1,000 year millennial reign to a seven year tribulation period to two judgments, right? To uh, the, the resurrection of the dead, to the refining of all things, to the second coming, to finally us with Jesus on new earth forever. And what people debate about, what all the smart people debate about is not whether or not all those things are going to happen. Those things are going to happen. It's more of the order that they happen in is what's debated about. And I have ideas, I have thoughts, but if the Apostle Paul was kind of unclear, then I'm not going to try to do that right now. All we know is that's happening then. It's happening then, and I'm, I'm really kind of interested in what that means for now. 
Like, how, how can we use then to explain a lot of the things that are happening in our world right now? And, and, and a good way to see that is 1 John 2.17. I'll read it to you. This world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. So the world's fading away, and everything that like, we use to kind of distract ourselves from the fact that we know it's fading away, that stuff's fading away too. It's all fading, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So the world as we know it, or we can phrase it this way, the kingdom of the world is slowly fading away. The kingdom of heaven is just getting started and has been ever since Jesus said it is finished on that cross. And ever since then, we've been living in sort of an overlap period of these two kingdoms, the tale of two kingdoms, the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of heaven. And that's why it might feel like when you're just living your life, it might feel like there's like two narratives going on that are kind of determining everything that happens, like these two narratives, like you turn on the news and it really seems like, man, things are getting worse and like violence and wars and natural disasters and higher and higher and higher numbers because the world is slowly passing away and it's not gonna pass peacefully. It's just not. The world is slowly passing away. It's not gonna pass peacefully, but ever since the resurrection, there is now another kingdom at work. There's another kingdom, and it's invading where the world is leaving. And if you want evidence for, for this kingdom, go to the Red Conference, honestly. Open your eyes during a salvation call. Go to any Red Rocks baptism service. You will see evidence for the kingdom of heaven. Everything else might be getting worse, but something is stirring and something is happening. You'll see salvation. You'll see people getting healed. You will see good moving in where evil used to be and light invading dark spaces that were once death, right? So, so one narrative is the world passing away, and the other narrative is the kingdom of heaven invading and right now in 2018, we have the privilege of living in an overlap period of these two kingdoms. And Jesus coming back represents the completion of the kingdom of the world. Jesus coming back will represent the completion. It'll, it'll pass away, and then Jesus coming back represents the end of the kingdom of the world. It will be gone forever. The kingdom of heaven will be here forever. And so that's why when we worship Jesus, you guys, we're not just singing and praising him about everything that he did 2,000 years ago and conquering the grave and defeating death and, and salvation. We're not just singing for that. We're not just singing for everything that he does on a day-to-day -day basis for us, the breath that he gives us and sustains for us, right? The ways that he makes for us, the fact that he gives us the desires of our hearts unless it lets us play a part in this story like we're not just praising him for that we are looking forward with foreknowledge and expectancy that he is coming back and we're singing and worshiping him for that as well that one day Jesus is going to come back on a white horse and he's going to usher out evil and darkness, and sin, and racism, and hatred, and corruption once and for all, and there will be no more tears, there will be no more sadness, there will be no more hurt, no more headaches, no more pain, no more anxiety, no more bipolar, no more depression, no more school shootings, no more terrorist attacks, right? No more acne, and no more cats. 
when Jesus comes back. Just us and God in the refined, refined new earth, the way it was originally supposed to be before sin got in the way. And that's really important, a refined new earth, okay? So this whole, this revelation stuff, this end time stuff, what is to come stuff, this is not, hear me on this, this is so important, this is not some kind of evacuation theology, where God is gonna evacuate all of us and blow everything up and start over, right? This is not an evacuation theology because Jesus is coming back in heaven. The kingdom of heaven is here right now. It's here right now invading and getting stronger and stronger by the minute. This is not an evacuation theology. Earth will be refined and new when all of this is said and done. But what that means is that what we do actually matters. What you do now, what you do with your life, how you steward the opportunities in your life, like that matters, right? It matters. Like we're not rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic as it sinks, right? I think a lot of people think that like, oh, it's all going to hell anyways. It's all going to get blown up. What does it matter if, we, if I get a compassion kid? What does it matter if we, if we help those countries get clean water, right? What, is it, what does any of that matter? This is all going to hell in a handbasket anyways, right? And it matters because heaven is here and Jesus is coming back. It matters how you steward your, your body, right? The spirit, the soul that you have is the soul that you're stuck with for the rest of eternity. So steward it well. Our planet, opportunities that come your way, it matters what we do. Right now matters. He's coming back, guys. He's coming back then. When exactly? Only God knows and God does not tell. But regardless, knowing about the then changes how we live now. The Apostle Paul said this pretty much straight up to his protege, Timothy. Second Timothy was the very, like Paul wrote like, like two-thirds of the New Testament. The very last thing he wrote before he died was Second Timothy, a letter to Timothy. Paul wrote this about a year before he died. And you can tell just fr from his writings that Paul is sensing that his time is near and that he's going to be martyred soon for the glory of Jesus. And he, he, he writes this to Timothy. He says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. I love that. You picture Paul at the end after such a life lived well saying it's all been poured out like I wanna get to the end of my life like Paul does there saying I poured everything out, right? Not a penny left to give, not a sermon left to preach, not a friend left to invite to church, not a, a song left in my lungs to glorify Jesus with like it's, all, it's poured out for the glory of God. My life has been spent and lived well. I want to be able to say that like Paul did. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all, all, all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Jesus is coming back. And for all who eagerly look forward, where? Forward. 
because Jesus is coming back, like Jess talked about last week. We set our faces, we set our faces forward with expectancy towards what is to come. So in case you don't know this, you gotta know this. God is not concerned with all the mess ups and failures of your past. He's not. He's concerned with forward. Jesus is not intimidated by your less than perfect record up to this point in your life. Like, I'll be, I'll be this bold. Fill in the blank with any sin, JV sin, varsity sin, as dark as you want to go. Jesus looks at it and goes, I covered that on the cross. I covered it. And when you're not consistent, I'm consistent. And when you mess up, I don't. And what you're not, I am. And your sin is simply not a problem for Jesus, which is why you, Christian, with Jesus, have permission to let go of what is behind, like Paul would say in a different letter, and look forward. And we can put this up on the screen. This is the last slide. Look forward with urgency and eagerness. We look forward with urgency and eagerness. Urgency, eagerness, those two things kind of seem to contradict each other at first. Like, eagerness is a good thing. Urgency doesn't sound, that sounds like a bad thing, right? But urgency is not the same thing as panicking. It's not. Like, if we know he's coming back, if we know the second narrative that's happening here with the kingdom of heaven, if we know the final chapter we should be the least panicked people group on this planet, right? The least panicked people group. It's not always the case. It should be urgency and eagerness. Urgency because eternity is not a game and eagerness because eternity with Jesus is better than anything that you and I could ever comprehend with, with the best imaginations in the world. Urgency and eagerness. And so our disposition as Christians in 2018, living in this overlap period of two kingdoms, is to let go of what is behind and face forward with urgency and eagerness. So why urgency, first of all? Because heaven and hell are real, life is short, and Jesus is coming back, basically. And in the end, here's the thing, and we'll get real for a second, but God will judge God will judge all of us, right? I mean, maybe, I've said this, maybe you have too. People say this all the time, like, you can't judge me. Only God can judge me. And he's gonna, <laughs> right? He's going to. Like, we're all gonna be judged. Christians too. We're all gonna stand in front of him and give an account for everything that we did and everything that we said and the motives with which we did and said those things. We're gonna be, we're, we'll all be judged. And now the auto response from most people, even a lot of Christians is to go, that's not fair. He can't, he can't judge me, right? No, God is gonna, is gonna judge me. That's not fair. And God gets a lot of flack for this judgment thing from our culture and from the world, which is strange because honestly, our culture, we, we love justice. That's why Law & Order SVU is going into season 19 this year. We love justice. We love, we pray that we get, we pray we get just judges. We just shake our fists at him for having the audacity to be a just judge himself, right? It's not fair, God. Look at me. Justice is the most fair thing in the world. It's grace that is the farthest thing from fair. Justice is fair, grace 
is not. And this just judge has paid the penalty for you, served your sentence for you. And it's his grace that you can have if you want it, but you have to receive it this side of eternity because all of us are gonna stand in front of him for judgment. And we're called to, to revere God. And I revere God, especially when thinking about standing in front of him to give an account for my life, but I can revere him. And at the very same time, I feel so much peace and confidence in my heart because regardless of the account that I'm gonna give, I am gonna be dressed 100% in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ the whole time. He's gonna look at me and he's gonna see Jesus, right? He's gonna look at me and he's gonna see Jesus. You either stand in front of God dressed in perfection that you got from Jesus or you don't. God does not send people to hell. We choose hell by rejecting what he's trying to give us. But that's reality. But understand, that's not the heart of your father. It's his heart that none of his kids will perish. He wants all of his kids with him in eternity for the rest of forever. That is the heart. That's the heart of your God. He doesn't want his kids perishing, but we have to want to be with him. You have to want to be with him. And that's why we feel urgency. That's why we feel urgency. We feel peace and confidence about our own salvations, but we feel urgency because we understand there's people in our lives who will stand in front of God and they're not gonna be dressed in the righteousness of Jesus. All they're gonna have is their resume with some good stuff on it. And it matters not how much good stuff you have on that resume. Perfection is all, is the only thing that gets you to be with a holy God for the rest of eternity, but you have that opportunity. My friends have that opportunity, and, and, and I understand the sovereignty of God, and I, I rest in the peace and the fact that salvation is not on me, it's on him, but I'm living as if there's no plan B behind me. I am God's plan for my friends, and I want them to stand in front of him one day dressed in the same perfect righteousness of Jesus. And so, in all that we do, let us live sober of eternity while looking forward with urgency. Yeah. Sober of eternity, looking forward with urgency. And finally, and we'll finish here, we'll finish on the good stuff, the best part. Notice I'm saying that, and some of you who are tuning out just tune back in because I said the best part. This is, in fact, the coolest part of the message. We finish here with the best stuff. Tune in right here. Like Paul said, we look forward with urgency, but we look forward, you guys, to Jesus coming back one day eagerly, man with excitement that our King is coming back. We, we cannot comprehend what is waiting for us when that happens, guys. You are royalty. And soon you're gonna find out exactly what that means and exactly how good this gift of salvation really is. We look forward with eagerness, excited. Jesus is coming back and that means that the best is yet to come. Jesus is coming back and that means the best is yet to come. So what is to come? 
The best is yet to come. And I know life can be painful. I know seasons are hard. And by no means am I saying that following Jesus is an easy thing to do. But I just think as Christians, as human beings who have salvation, as the people who are dressed in the perfect righteousness of Jesus, that regardless of the season, we should just be the people who live as if we know and believe that the best is really yet to come. Not just eternity, but but for the rest of our lives as well, right? You should never let anybody tell you that the best years of your life was the four to seven years that you spent trying to graduate high school, right? Or the two victory lap years that you took in college. Ain't no Christian should have Uncle Rico syndrome thinking the glory days are behind us, right? Your glory days, Christian, are forward. They're in front of you. And when the best is yet to come, it's impossible for your glory days to be in the past. I don't know you. I don't know your story. I don't know your past, but I know this. What is to come is greater than what is behind, and what your future holds is better than what your past holds, because we know the end game. We know that not only did Jesus conquer death in the grave 2,000 years ago, but he's coming back probably sooner than later. And in the meantime, we're living like we know the last chapter, like we know the end game. And in the meantime, he's pulling us forward with him. And good days are ahead. It's true now, and it'll still be true when you're 70 years old that you, Christian, have something to look forward to, not just that side of eternity, but this side of eternity as well, because Jesus is coming back, which means the best is yet to come regardless of your season right now and so face forward I don't know who I'm talking to tonight but God wanted me to come here I, I prayed about this I heard this I promise you I'm here to tell somebody in this room maybe a lot of people in this room that the chapter that you've been living in you've been running around in circles rereading the same chapter of your life over and over again and it's getting tired and you're getting tired of it and he has a new chapter if you would just let go and face forward with eagerness and urgency maybe this chapter was a season of loss right maybe this chapter was a painful season maybe this chapter has been an addiction like to drugs or to alcohol or to pornography or to pleasing people right maybe this has been like an eating disorder or, or I, I don't know what this is but I'm here to say keep fighting the good fight keep leaning into Jesus keep showing up to church and keep facing forward because there will come a day and I believe that day is soon when, when addiction will no longer be a part of your future, it'll be a part of your past and a testimony that you now go up to people and say, I used to be an addict until the grace of Jesus thought differently. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. It's a testimony somebody else needs to hear. And for some of you, you are this close to a powerful testimony, but you are not there yet and God wants you to know the chapter that you've been rereading and rereading in your life it's time to move on to the next one this one is old you might be one prayer away from moving on to the next thing you might be one phone call one small measure of faith one month in rehab away from a testimony that is gonna shake chains off of other people's lives as well you might be this close Jesus is coming back and it's time for victory. It's time for a different narrative in your life. The next chapter is better than this one. Jesus talks about, Jesus talks about um, new wine and old wine caskets that are full of old wine. And the wine casket basically is, is, is you, is me, is us. The old wine represents just ways that we've been in things in our lives, habits, 
patterns that have now just become traditions. They're just what we do. This is how I live, right? This is, this is how my life goes. Bad stuff just always happens to me, right? These are my patterns. And the new wine, Jesus said, I want to bring new wine through you. I want to do something new through your life. I want to call you forward into the next chapter. I want to reach people through you. We got, we got work to do, Christian, in your time on this planet before I come back. And there's more, there's more, there's new wine that I have for you, right? Like we look at these two kingdoms in the world, the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of heaven, which, which are two narratives two narratives. One is, is on its way out and one is on its way in. And those two kingdoms exist in here as well. Two narratives that live inside of you, the flesh and the spirit. Two narratives, the old narrative, the old man that's telling you this is just the way it goes for you. Or freedom, that's possible for them. That's not possible for you because you know you. You know you're going to mess up again. Oh, those callings, that conference, that retreat, that whatever, that's for them. That's not for you, right? These narratives, and man, that, 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 those narratives have got to be getting old by now. There's a new narrative, a new kingdom alive and at work in you, and that kingdom is calling you forward, Christian. That kingdom, God is so good at breaking chains. Jesus is so good at picking you up and pulling you forward and forgiving and saying every single morning that you're gonna let go of what is behind you and move into what is to come, regardless of how many times you've already learned this lesson. Move forward, Jesus, is, His grace is just that good and so we let go of what is behind we face forward and we keep moving with urgency we let go of what is behind we keep moving ahead with expectancy we keep facing forward with urgency because the best is yet to come in your life and Jesus Christ is coming back soon so God I thank you for all of my friends in this room I thank you that you're coming back soon Jesus I pray that you would light passions inside of every person in here, a mini revival in every heart, in every spirit in this room, that you'd speak to people during worship, God, that we would live with urgency and find a new excitement for eternity. We have so much to look forward to. We can't even comprehend it, but I pray that you'd make it a bit more real tonight during worship, God. We love you so much, and we pray all of these things in the powerful name that is above every name, the name of Jesus Christ, and everybody said, amen. Let's stand up and let's worship.